Welcome to Footnotes in Witness. My name is Deborah J. McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we study the Bible to see Jesus rightly and find Him in our own stories. Let us be faithful witnesses to His character and glory. All right, y'all, random stuff in the Bible. What do we do with it? And how does it strengthen our relationship with God? Sometimes it can be a small detail that jumps out at you while you're reading scripture and makes you stop. Like Paul asking Timothy for his coat at the end of 2 Timothy. Sometimes it's big chunks of scripture, like genealogies. Today we're going to address a huge chunk of scripture, (laughs) the law. Now, if you've made it through a yearly reading plan, Leviticus may have been where you slowed down your enthusiasm, the list of laws and rules and commands. No one likes reading a rule book. We scroll right to the bottom of terms and conditions. Most people throw out the little booklet that comes with a new appliance. Hopefully today I can help give you some footnotes on how to read and even just how to think about the law. And it all comes down to my favorite question. How does this show me the character of God? Let's start where we always start, with context, the best place to start. So what was the original purpose of the scripture? What were the laws given for? What was the original audience supposed to do with it? So we're going to start in Exodus with Moses at Mount Sinai. God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. But they spend a year at the mountain, learning how to be a people. They get the law, they build the ark and the temple. Now, I'm going to link to a Bible project video in the show notes. Tim Mackey and his crew, they do a wonderful job of giving a very quick, like, seven-minute summary on how all this goes down, and it kind of helps just to see it sometimes in that visual way to help kind of make a concrete thought in your mind about what this is and how it fits into the overall narrative. It's worth a few minutes if you get a chance. One of the things that I learned from studying this is that there is a pattern There's a pattern to the ancient Israelites getting the law, and it's actually going to mirror what happens in the garden. Basically, a command is given, don't eat of the tree of the fruit of knowledge. Rebellious human heart fails at holding up the command. They eat from the tree. At Mount Sinai, the command is given, don't worship other gods or make idols. And Moses comes down from the mountain and finds that the people have made a golden idol out of a calf. So law, rebellion, law, rebellion. There are, of course, some laws that do seem really random and meaningless. Like there are very specific requirements for the sacrifice of animals, like what to do with specific organs and fats. All of that gets addressed. But there are also laws that state that you should not pick up grapes that fall from the vine. Now, we don't make animal sacrifices anymore, and we don't live in an agrarian society. Like most of us do not own or cultivate fields or vineyards. So is this law even relevant if we're not under it? Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Abolish means to get rid of, to destroy. 
So Jesus is saying there's value in the law. He's not coming to get rid of it. He's coming to fulfill it. But sometimes it can appear that Jesus doesn't even care about the law because he breaks Sabbath numerous times. He lets his disciples pick grain and he eats with sinners. So we say that Jesus had no sin. But in Matthew 12, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, the man with the withered hand. And then Jesus goes on to tell those that are there in the synagogue who witnessed this miracle that doing good on the Sabbath is lawful. So is Jesus breaking the Sabbath or had the understanding of the Sabbath law become flawed over time and through tradition? Jesus makes this point over and over. (laughs) It is not about the law. It's about him. So then why do we still have it? Should it have been cast aside when the temple was destroyed? Do we today need it? Why can't we just do what Jesus did and then we'll be covered morally, right? What does Jesus actually say about the law? Let's look at some of this. In Matthew 22, it tells us over and over in a bunch of different accounts that Jesus is continually being tested. They keep asking him about other laws and trying to catch him in a way that he breaks laws so they can be mad at him. These are the Pharisees. These are the law keepers of the Israelite people, of the Hebrew people, and they're trying to catch him. So, of course, Jesus holds his own. But then a lawyer comes up with a really good question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus's answer We also have an answer to our question. Why do we still need the law? Why is it there? So in Matthew 22, this is verses 37 through 40. Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on those two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law. The official tally is 613. 613 laws. And these are very specific. And they're teased out of the core and fundamental statement made by Jesus here. Love God and love others. So that gives us some context when we're reading the law. What is the law about? The law helps God's people love God and love others. Think about it like our U.S. Constitution, right? We had a political system of beliefs fundamental to the creation of our own nation. So in the Constitution, it starts with we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, and provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish the Constitution for the United States of America. Now, our Constitution didn't include everything. (laughs) Over time, we saw that specific rights had to be pulled out, that the people were not sticking to the law of the Constitution, because it was interpreted many different ways. It says that we need to establish justice. But I think we can all admit that the justice system in America is not perfect and definitely hasn't been for the last 200 years. 
It says, ensure domestic tranquility. Well, what does that mean? And what's the government's role in it? And it says, promote the general welfare. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) And what are the goals? And what is the responsibility of individual people? And what's the responsibility of the government? Like we needed amendments. So particular rights set aside like voting rights that you cannot discriminate based on race or gender or age. These things had to be put into law because they weren't being followed. Laws are usually made because bad behavior needs correcting. Think about something as simple as a no loitering sign. It goes up because someone loitered. (laughs) Usually we put no solicitation signs on our house because we've had several people come to our house and solicit us for things. So we put up a sign. Laws are usually responsive, like they don't happen before the bad behavior. And so this is exactly what happens in ancient Israel. There's nothing new under the sun. Humanity is still the same. So when God gives the ancient Israelites these laws, he says, this, you know, this is what I want. I want you to look different than your neighbors. And when we can actually compare the laws to other ancient um, established societies of the time, we can see that a lot of these laws were actually very progressive that slaves were eventually going to be set free in the year of Jubilee, that women had more rights than their neighbors. Now, our modern context sees a lot of these laws as kind of barbaric, but we have to remember who the original audience was. So these laws were given, and then they actually break more laws, and then they have to get more laws. (laughs) So this is that pattern of law, rebellion, law, rebellion. So for example, in Numbers 15, the laws about purity, about how to deal with dead bodies actually come after the people break the law and a plague goes through the people. So then they had a bunch of dead bodies to deal with. So we think about Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy as just lists of laws, but there's narrative all throughout it. And the narrative has something to do with the laws that come before and after it. So whenever we're reading through these laws, it's not our job to say, how am I supposed to do these laws? It's what does this law tell me about God's character? How does this help the ancient people love God and love others? Because there's some really random laws. Um, Tim Mackey points out that the only law that's actually repeated three times is that you can't cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. And it's about loving God's creation. Like that's cruel to kill something in the life liquid of its mother. Because you needed to revere those animals. They're giving you life. They're giving you meat. Now, we don't have a relationship with our meat anymore. We just go to the store and pick it up. And we don't have a lot of reverence for those animals. And in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, (laughs) so don't get uh, too upset, but that I think has led to the mistreatment of a lot of animals because we need 
more of it. And we don't have a reverence for their life anymore. We don't care about what their living conditions are. Now there's some of that that's changing. But in general, that's typical human behavior. If we don't know, and if we don't respect what it took to get that thing, then we usually don't respect that thing. So it's about respecting God's creation. So we can look at these laws and we can say, okay, this helped the people love God and love others. So that's one very specific way that we can read these laws, even when they seem really random, and look at it and just ask these questions. How is this law helping the ancient people love God and love others? The other thing that I'm going to reference in the show notes is a book by John Salheimer called The Pentateuch as Narrative. So the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. It's the Torah, and we kind of consider that to be the law. Now, he kind of fleshes out, and I haven't read all of it, but Tim Mackey um, in the Bible Project referenced it, and so I've got it on order, and I've read bits and pieces. But it's really helpful whenever somebody has that perspective of like, these lists have something to do with God. Let's look at it. So the Pentateuch as narrative, the law as narrative. The law is not there for us to have a checklist. God came to fulfill the law in his son, Jesus Christ, and he did. So the law is not a checklist for us, but it is something that shows us God's character. So John Salheimer in his book gave a couple of different roles of what the law is for. And I think it's really helpful to kind of see what the point of the law is. So first and foremost, and this will seem really simple, but it's important to remember The laws are not given to us. Like I just said, they weren't given to all of humanity. They were specifically given to the ancient Israelite people at that time. So they were slaves in Egypt. They lived in this other culture and other society for hundreds of years, for generations. Now they've been taken out of that country and they have to find a new identity. They have to learn who they are. What are their values? What are their belief systems? Because God wants them to not keep the Egyptian belief systems, which if you've ever watched a documentary about the pyramids or anything like that, like, you know that the Egyptian belief system was intricate. It was complex. It was really interesting. There's all different types of gods and they have weird like bird heads and dog heads. Like there's a ton that you can get immersed in. God needs to set his people apart from their neighbors. And so he's going to do that through how they behave and what their belief systems are. And he gives that to them in the form of laws. Now, I don't know about you, I'm from Texas, and we don't like people telling us what to do. So anytime somebody says, here's the rule, then my immediate human Texas response is, oh, now I'm going to do it. Like I wasn't even thinking about it before, but now that you said I can't, I'm gonna. Like, that's just human nature, but also there's a little Southern just honoriness in me about that. (laughs) And I think it is human nature. But these were not laws. Like we need to kind of be a little open-handed with the connotation of that word. These are instructions. This is God trying to help his people define who they were as a culture. And so what we get from the overall picture 
of what their instructions were from God is we actually get a sample of what life was like for those people. They needed to be able to focus on God. And so it gets down to the point where they have daily tasks, they have weekly tasks, monthly, yearly, and then every seven times seven years, they have something to do and it helps them keep track of time. And a lot of these laws and feasts are ways to remember. So a lot of what we see in this sample of what life was like is that God gave the people a way to remember him continuously. We have the Holy Spirit now on this side of the cross, and we get to get that nudge from the Holy Spirit when we kind of forget and we don't really appreciate what we're living in and grace and mercy. We get those little nudges from the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that. And so God's trying to help them have that in a different way. And that was something that was for those people at that time. Another thing that we can look at with the laws is that not only are they shaping Israel in his principles of wisdom and justice, but that shows us God's character. We actually see wisdom and justice in the laws. So Paul talks about the law in several places in the New Testament. In fact, it's probably the number one point of contention between new churches because you have Jewish people who are historically Jewish in their race, in their generations back back and back, and they have these this thing that's been bred into them that's part of their identity. And now they have to change again. It was very difficult. And so when you have Gentiles who have never followed Hebrew beliefs coming into the church, the Gentiles and the Jews start fighting. Well, you need to be circumcised or you shouldn't eat pork or whatever it is. And Paul addresses that. And I love the way that Paul addresses it. Every time he says, what's the heart of it? What's the point of it? If it helps you, if it helps your relationship with the Lord to be circumcised, then great, do it. But if not, you should not make someone follow your traditions. In Galatians, if you've ever read the book of Galatians, it's a lot of circumcision. So just get ready for that. If it makes you squeamish, maybe read something else and come back to it. That is like the main beef in Galatians. And he's saying, you don't have to do this. And let's look at why that was asked of the ancient Israelites. God needed them to trust that he was going to multiply them, that he was going to further their people for generations. And he wanted the men to be physically marked that they had that trust. But that's not necessary anymore. Now, if it helps you, if it makes your relationship deeper, then great, do it. But if not, then don't hang your theology on it. He also says that like the Sabbath, for instance, Jesus broke the Sabbath many, many, many times. (laughs) But the point was that the Sabbath was a gift given to the people, a day of rest, because we have this very modern connotation of a five-day work week with two days, weekend, yay, TGIF, I don't have to work for two days. But that was not the case. (laughs) If you've ever worked on a farm or you had animals, you know that they have to be taken care of every single day. Like I had chickens when I was real little, and I will never have chickens again because they can drown in a rainstorm because they're stupid. And they'll look up they have to be taken care of. (laughs) You can't just go on vacation and let them uh, stay in the backyard with a whole bunch of feed. Like somebody has to come over and look at them. 
We have this connotation of the weekend, but the Sabbath was a gift. And it goes all the way back to the garden where God took a Sabbath. And he says, it's good to pause, to reflect on what you've done, to sit in that moment for a minute. And so the Sabbath was a gift. Now we have lots of people in the modern day church who are saying, you have to follow the Sabbath. Well, in Paul's idea, if that helps you, if you're going to spend that time reflecting and doing what God asked you to do, and it actually makes your relationship with God stronger, then by all means, observe the Sabbath. Don't work on Saturday. Great. Not a problem. But if you're doing it because it's a checklist and you want to be in control of your salvation about whether or not you're good enough for God, then you've lost the point. <laughs> then it no longer serves its purpose. The laws were meant to shape Israel, and it does that through showing wisdom and justice. And in that, we see God's character. We see God's idea of wisdom. We see God's idea of justice. When he says an eye for an eye, we take that out of context and we go, great, we can have vengeance. No, that's not actually what it means. An eye for an eye is about don't go overboard. If somebody takes your mule, you don't get to murder their whole family and burn their farm down. That's not in proportion. <laughs> and then when Jesus is asked about it, he says, you know what? You have been given grace and you will be saved and you don't deserve any of it. So when somebody asks for your shirt, give them your cloak also, because you can give out of much because God gives you much. And so it's about the wisdom of it. Some of these laws probably seem very random, of course, but I'm sure it seems very random and meaningless to a two-year-old when you tell them that they can't have candy for dinner. And it's not because you're spiteful. It's not because you're trying to keep something from them that makes them feel good. For me, I have a family that has struggled a lot with diabetes and weight gain because we eat our feelings. We don't have a good relationship with food. And so it's about balance right? Like I don't want you to eat ice cream for dinner all the time because there needs to be balance. But you know what? Every now and then I absolutely let my kids eat ice cream for dinner <laughs> because I don't want them to be withheld from it for so long either that they become obsessed with it when they get their own paycheck and just eat ice cream anyway, right? So it's all about like, what's the wisdom behind it? God is not spiteful. He's for you. And all of these laws, like Jesus said, can be boiled down to two things. They help you love God and they help you love others. The last point I want to bring up is that the laws help demonstrate how corrupt the human heart actually is, that it is actually incapable of keeping the law. This has been all the way back from the garden. Here's a rule. No, I'm going to break it. <laughs> Here's a law. No, rebellion. It's all throughout OT, and it's not to weigh you down. It's not to give you shame or guilt and to say, you're a terrible person and no one loves you. It's actually to say, you're a normal human being, and God loves you anyway, and has provided a way for you to be in community with him. And so these laws help give the gravity, and we've talked about this before, the gravity of what the cross means. Because without the weight of the law, then there's no real weight 
to the cross because our human hearts are just incapable. We can try really, really hard. We can be really good for a while, but ultimately we will always let somebody down. We will always let ourselves down. We will always let God down. Even the most holy, highest held esteemed people in the Bible failed. David and Bathsheba, right? Like Solomon in all of his wisdom was brought down with lust with women once again. And it's not because women are evil, right? It's because the human heart is deceptive because the human heart seeks what it wants, what makes you feel good. It's the toddler who wants ice cream for dinner. It's going to make me feel good. And Jesus came and said, I know what's going to be good for you in the long run. So I'm going to help you get there. And only through Jesus can we have that. So before it was through the law, and now it's through Jesus. Now we still need the law. (laughs) I encourage you, if your reading plan came and died in Leviticus, (laughs) pick it back up again and read the law anew. See it for what it's meant to be. It shows you God's character and his wisdom. It shows you how big the gospel is because of how much he had to overcome to fulfill the law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it because it is good. It is good for us to think about others. It is good for us to think about justice. It is good for us to put our own needs on the back burner and put other people in front of us. But we will only be able to accomplish that consistently with the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, and the patient mercy of our Heavenly Father. And that, y'all, is really good news. <laughs>